In Blackpool, yes, it's the red wall. On the day, the energy bills really begin to hit. And everyone's asking, should Boris Johnson stay or should he go? local crowd and this bar this bar believe it or not is called the number 10 bar and that of course is because Blackpool has for decades hosted party conferences of all kinds every single Prime Minister serving Prime Minister for the last 50 years has had a drink in this bar and all around the walls there are mirrors dedicated to all of them the only serving Prime Minister that has not yet been into this bar and had a drink is Boris Johnson. Now, the Conservatives have their annual spring conference here in Blackpool on the 19th of March. Given the way things are going in Downing Street today, he'd better get here pretty blooming quickly, otherwise there won't be a mirror in his name. I will be debating today Boris Johnson's position, whether he should stay or whether he should go. Interestingly, interestingly, Boris Johnson was in Blackpool today. Whether that's because he knows GB News are here or not, I don't know. But what he didn't do was a walkabout to meet people. Now, all of this on the day when we learn that our bills, our annual bills for heating our homes, are going up by £700. But it's OK, because some of that money is going to be given back to us by Rishi Sunak. Net will still be down £350 per household. So today's the day I think reality, the cost of living reality, really began to set in. And there's an irony with that because we're sitting here right now on the largest untapped natural gas reserve in the whole of the European time space. And to date, not a single barrel of gas has been taken out of this Boland resource. We'll debate that too during the programme. But I've got to begin, I think, by going to Darren McCaffrey, our political editor. Uh, Darren, we're in the Red Wall, the famous Red Wall, Blackpool South, which had gone to the Labour Party in 1997. The Conservatives won it in 2019. And these are the seats the Conservatives need to hold to keep their majority. But before we talk about Blackpool and what perhaps matters to people here, we can't ignore events in number 10 Downing Street. No, we can't, uh, Nigel. And within the last couple of hours, we've had two significant resignations. Now, probably of people, Mira Nerza and Jack Doyle, that no one in this room, frankly, no one at home has probably heard of, but they are really significant figures. And actually, in some ways, their resignation is more significant than some of the letters that we've seen go in in recent days to spark a leadership race against Boris Johnson. Mira Nerza, head of policy at number 10, frequently referred to as Boris Johnson's brains, essentially. And been with him for 14 years. Been with him throughout his mayorship in London and in Downing Street. Now, she has resigned, and they resigned for very different reasons, these two people. She's resigned because ultimately she did not like that slur that Boris Johnson aimed at Keir Starmer in the Commons on Monday about his role or his lack of role in prosecuting Jimmy Savile, which frankly wasn't really based on very much, to the point where the Prime Minister today admitted that it wasn't meant to be a personal attack on the Prime Minister. That wasn't good enough for her. She said it's not part of the kind of tumble of politics, and that in the end, because he didn't apologise for that, she was resigning her yep. post. Jack Doyle, on the other hand, head of communications, he's the person who directs what the Prime Minister has to say in terms of talking to the media and the public. 
He's resigned tonight, essentially over the Partygate scandal, seeing it's taken an awful toll on his family. Lots of suggestions that he was at these uh, parties. But in the end, he's lost two key people in the space of a matter of hours. And that may well speak volumes about the atmosphere and what's going on inside number 10. And frankly, and let's be honest about this, the precarious position the Prime Minister finds himself in. I mean, these in. staff are getting out, aren't they? They can see the ship sinking. You, you know, that you can conclude that, yes. Um, you know, it's, it's always difficult to tell, but to lose two of your senior advisers mm. in a matter of day, uh, after, what, three letters went in yesterday? It's, it's, not, it's not a sign of confidence. No, it it's isn't. not a sign of confidence. Now, Darren, you've spent the week up here in the northwest, travelling around different constituencies, Blackpool, obviously, today. Um, and there was huge enthusiasm in these seats. They, you know, they voted Brexit. They were pretty disgusted by the way Parliament had behaved over three and a half years. Uh, are they still in love with the Conservatives? Well, I think to a degree they are. I think we can overplay this sometimes. You know, the Prime Minister still is popular with a certain section of the, the population. Yeah. They quite like him. They quite like the fact that actually, you know what, he gets himself in these mishaps. <laughs> That's part of his character, isn't it? It's one of the reasons people are attracted to him. He's clearly charismatic and he's a great campaigner. Um, I think people have struggled, though, in recent weeks and months with... Uh, the scandals and just this sense and actually I was talking to the leader of the Conservative Council here uh, in Blackpool today, just this sense of not, not knowing when this is going to end, that Boris's character just means that he sets landmines for himself that blow himself up and the, and the Keir Starmer Jimmy Savile thing is a perfect example of that he, he didn't need to say that and he did and he's got himself into trouble where he's lost one of his key lieutenants. But also a sense Darren, and I, and I, you know, I get the point that you know, he can be entertaining, he can be funny all of those things and, and you know, he goes around in campaigns and, and makes a splash. I get all of that. But isn't the problem with the party, it's not just that he told all of these people they couldn't go and visit their relatives, dying relatives, whatever it may be, whilst there were endless, it seems, events going on in number 10, but that when it all comes out, he just denies it. Well, it's a question about trust, isn't it? Do they trust a man? Does he tell the truth? Isn't that really at the heart of this? I, I, you know, in some ways, you know, I, that's what I find, and I think lots of people who work in the media are a bit egregious about this, because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we're there to ask questions some degree on your behalf. And throughout the end of November and the start of December, we repeatedly asked Downing Street, day in, day out, with the, where there were events in Downing Street, where there were parties, yeah. where the rules broken to. And we were told day after day yeah. after day yeah. there were no parties, all the guidance was followed at all times. Now, frankly, whatever you think about the Prime Minister, that is simply not true. We know that. I know. The Metropolitan Police are investigating what went on because they know there's enough evidence for an investigation to happen. And I think, as always with these things, and you see it in politics all the time, if the Prime Minister may well have owned up and apologised, we would not be where we are now, yeah. and it's the constant uh, trying to get away with it, um, or not being truthful and transparent about what went on, I, I think has meant that we're now in this mess. A mess that, again, is of his own creation, and one where, frankly, his premiership is now genuinely on the line. I agree. Darren, thank you for joining us, and I will be debating with the audience here this evening whether they still trust Boris Johnson. Now, the audience here all know Blackpool incredibly well, but many of you may not. So earlier on today, Bradley, who is our Northwest reporter, went out and made this video. So have a look at the delights of Blackpool, even out of season. <laughs> The first stop on our tour of Blackpool. And David Evans 
you've brought me to Blackpool Tower. Let's walk across the tram tracks. Why is it so iconic for Blackpool? Uh, mainly because it's the only surviving tower that was built of its time. Uh, but it's just such an iconic uh, place. Uh, it was obviously built off to the Eiffel Tower, that was the first one of its type, and everyone thinks, oh, that uh, it was just a copy, but it wasn't because the Eiffel Tower doesn't have any uh, ballroom or circus or entertainment as such. Uh, this one does, it was there to keep you for the day, not just to go up and down and that's it, we want you here all day, empty your pockets, that's what it's all about. We're going to be getting some amazing views elsewhere because I know that you're going to be taking me to another famous iconic place Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Blackpool was a parliamentary constituency centred in the town of Blackpool in Lancashire. It was formed in 1885 as part of a general election and then it was abolished in 1945 as part of another general election and then it was created as part of two constituencies, what we know today as Blackpool North and Blackpool South. Right, we've stopped outside Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Before we head up to great heights, although I'm not going to be taking a ride on the roller coaster, I want to talk to you about the roller coaster of politics in Blackpool uh, because Paul Maynard is the MP for Blackpool North and Cleverleys, but it hasn't always been a Conservative stronghold in Blackpool, has it, David? No, for many years it was. Uh, people joked you could literally put a stuffed cat up with a blue rosette on and it would get voted in. Uh, but then in the 80s we had a few bit of shenanigans between the Labour and the Tory party in the sense that the Tories were in, in power for so long that they set up several things that sort of they didn't want dismantling and one of them was a deal about the uh, sandcastle uh, and the Derby Baths which meant the Derby Baths had to go. People in Blackpool loved the Derby Baths, it was one of only five or, five or six uh, Olympic sized swimming pools in the entire country. Uh, they loved the place and because of the deal that was done it would appear, to be careful and say that, uh, that basically uh, the derby went and a few months or even just a few weeks later it was time to vote and people really hated what had happened within the council which was at that time Tory and so on a point of principle they went Labour. Oh, David, what an amazing whistle-stop tour of Blackpool. Uh, we've seen some incredible sights, but there's so much more to see, isn't there? Got to ask, though, my only question for you now, how much is the fare? Oh, well, uh, it's quite a bit, but then it's like Blackpool, it's pretty priceless. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Harris on the delights of Blackpool. Clearly the crowd very much enjoyed seeing their town bigged up in the way that it was there. Well, somebody who has really risen to prominence in Blackpool is Scott Benton, because, Scott, you became the Member of Parliament for Blackpool South in 2019, a seat Labour had held going way back into the mid-1990s. Um, how's it going? Good. Well, to be honest, Nigel, I've had better weeks. Really? Obviously, the government are in, a, <laughs> are in a difficult place at the moment. Everybody knows that. But as a local member of Parliament, I'm thoroughly enjoying the job. I've got a number of things I want to do in Parliament, some of which we'll probably come on to. Overall, Partygate aside, I think the government are doing a fairly good job. But we do need to up our game on the cost of living, helping families with that on small boats where the government's record is not good enough at all. 
on, on other things as well. But to be fair, we have had the pandemic and we've supported businesses, people on furlough scheme, all of those things as well. But we need to do far more if we're going to continue to have the trust of the British people and people in this room, some of whom may have even voted for me at the last general election. Well, I'm sure some of them did. And, you know, they wanted to get Brexit over the line. Uh, many traditional Labour people looked at Corbyn and thought this guy isn't patriotic, doesn't believe in the country and in, in the way that old Labour did and all of those things. But levelling up. You know, we saw Michael Gove presenting his levelling up ideas for places like Blackpool yesterday. I mean, frankly to me, it was more, it was more like a child's wish list to Father Christmas. So this is what we <laughs> hoped might happen. But here we are. Here we are. We have a gas reserve, a natural gas reserve under our feet. And I know the good people of Blackpool have been bombarded with propaganda to tell them it'll cause earthquakes and goodness knows what else. Uh, and yet you can look across the rest of the world where natural gas is extracted very safely. Are you, as a local member of parliament, in favour of developing the gas industry here? Well, every day I go knocking on doors when I'm in Blackpool, Nigel, and one of the top things people talk to me about is the cost of living. We have a ridiculous situation at the moment where the government are actually contributing to those rising costs. Two things. One's the VAT on energy bills, which, which I think which we need to was scrap. a Brexit promise. Absolutely, all of and us that can. So why don't they get rid of it? That needs to be removed. I said that in House Commons. We need to scrap that five percent. The other thing we need well, to you do. You need to be tougher, don't you, Scott? I'll you continue know, banging on that door, Nigel. <laughs> don't you worry. I will not let the people in this room down. The second thing are those green levies. So twenty percent. The cost on yep. people's fuel bills is so-called green levies. And what do these do? Well, £1 billion of that is propping up a wood chip um, burner yep. in Yorkshire. Scott, and I agree. I agree. To me. I agree with all of that. But I did ask you a question about whether, as the local MP, you support the development. And by the way, if the gas industry was developed here... You know, we're talking about reserves of gas here that are yep. worth hundreds of billions of pounds. We are talking in Blackpool and the North West about thousands, maybe tens of thousands, of very well-paid jobs. To me, that really would be levelling up for the North West. I couldn't agree more, Nigel. Um, my position on fracking is clear. If it's safe and it doesn't have any adverse effects on the local area, we need to go down this road because we cannot continue relying on foreign energy sources. I mean, for goodness sake, we've got Russia on the border with Ukraine, and yet we're, we're in right, no, no, I take to that. Russia for their gas. So we need our own supplies, not only the North Sea, but fracking okay. needs to be looked at again. The only thing I would say about the local situation in Blackpool, we had a site four miles down the road, mm. and there were a number of earthquakes, and that particular site is probably not well, they drilled, available. They drilled into fracking. a fault. It was an error, and I understand that I know that. Yeah. Finally, I have to ask you this. You know, Brexit, Corbyn, and, you know, Boris's optimism that, you know, here we were. We could cut the Gordian knot and get Brexit done. All right? And I, I would question whether we got it done properly yet, but to get Brexit done, that as much as your own charm is what got you elected and over the line in 2019, and realistic MPs know that. You've seen a Prime Minister elected on a Conservative ticket, uh, governing, frankly, not as a Conservative. This is now, you've now got the Labour Party wants taxes lower than the Conservative <laughs> Party. I mean, you couldn't make some well, of this... Well, today, anyway. You couldn't, but you couldn't make some of this stuff up. The big question, should Boris stay or should he go? Two reasons why I was elected, Nigel. First was Brexit, to get Brexit done. The second was Boris Johnson. 
People came out who hadn't voted in decades, and for one reason or another, they were captivated by Boris. Man of the people liked his charm, and that's a big reason why we won the landslide election we did. So, Conservative MPs, my message to them would be, be very careful what you wish for, because Boris is a winner. Every time... But he was a winner. Well, he's bounced back time and time again, Nigel. He's probably the one UK politician mm -hmm. who can turn something like Partygate around and 12, 18 months' time from now, he'll be talking about other things and he'll be back on right, the Right, so you support him? So what I would say is Partygate would be fat fatal for every single other prime so you support him? we've had. I do at the moment. Right. But obviously we've got the police investigation. Let's see what that brings. Um, but we've got a domestic agenda which we need to crack on with, supporting families with fuel bills, investing in public services, and Boris needs to take that forward at this moment in time. Scott Benton, Conservative Member of Parliament for Blackpool South, thank you for joining us here on GB News. In a moment, in a moment we'll talk about those £700 rises in bills. We'll talk about the money we're going to get back from a Chancellor. Isn't it just some gigantic, great big money-go-round that leaves us all just poorer? about that untapped gas potential. Earlier on today, Liam Halligan, our business and economics editor, interviewed Francis Egan, the boss of Quadrilla. This is what he had to say about government energy policy. Increase in the wholesale price is a colossal failure in government energy policy. Uh, this is a, 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 a disaster that's been in the making for at least 10 years. Uh, I've been in this job uh, trying to persuade the government for 10 years to get on with this, and I've dealt with 10 separate energy ministers in that time mm. frame. The UK and, and Europe, for that matter, both of whom have, have taken a, a, almost a criminally negligent approach to their energy policy. For example, today, the wholesale gas price in the United States is six times lower, mm. six times mm. lower than it is and in, in the UK. And they are fracking. And they are fracking, because they are effectively self-sufficient in gas. So there is this kind of uh, narrative that there's nothing we can do about this, this is international gas prices, we're at the mercy of the market. That's not the case. If that was the case, the wholesale gas price in the US would be the same pretty much bar transportation costs than the wholesale price here. It's not. It's order of magnitude different. We should be developing our own resources onshore and offshore. Liam Halligan, that was very, very strong stuff from Francis Egan there. He said the government had been criminally negligent. and He made the point with foresight and planning, we could be self-sufficient on energy, not importing, and have lower prices. Now, you know, he's got a vested interest in this. Is he right? Well, the whole narrative today, Nigel, from Rishi Sunak in the House of Commons downward has been that these high wholesale gas prices and thus much higher energy bills for ordinary men and women and families going forward here in the UK, have, it's just global. There's nothing we can do about it. They've been forced it upon us by events, dear boy, events. What Francis Egan is saying, and I think almost any energy expert in the world would agree with him, is very little gas storage capability. We've got high renewable subsidies on those household fuel bills. And he's saying, and these are his claims, that fracking 
has been demonized. He said every day as the boss of Quadrilla, he wakes up to what he calls scare stories about water being contaminated, about, it, mm. about flames coming out of people's bathroom and kitchen taps. He says they're nonsense. And he says if Boris Johnson lifted that moratorium in fracking, it would create hundreds, thousands of jobs, raise tax revenues and ease the fuel bill burden now on ordinary men and women. It is bizarre, isn't it, Liam? I mean, we put a 25% tax, a hidden 25% tax on people's electricity bills, which is, which is, of course, VAT, and, of course, it's these green subsidies to fund mm. wind farms mm. and all the rest of it, and all this has been put on without anybody here being told mm. that it was actually happening. Um, and because of that, the price is too high. So we're now going to give you money back <laughs> by cutting your council Which tax. you're then going to pay back if over the next five years. Oh, and then we're going to put your taxes lucky. And then we're going to put your taxes up on the 1st of April. I mean, what the hell's well, going on? Well, my head's spinning, and that's before you have to make one of those ridiculous phone calls to try and deal with your energy company, who always keeps you on hold. I'm sure many people can relate to that. Look, I wanted the government to scrap VAT on fuel bills, scrap the VAT. That's the campaign we've been running on my On The Money show on GB yep. News. I think it would be cleaner. What Rishi Sunak's come up with is almost sort of Gordon Brown levels of complexity and fiscal contortion. You know this rebate we're going to be getting when the Chancellor gives us back our own money? Yep. That doesn't kick in until October. So the bills... By and... which time the off-gen yep. price cap will be raised even more. The council tax reduction, that's only for people in homes that are A to D. So yep. there'll be many families that don't benefit from that. That's only in England, by the way. So I think the Chancellor should have been much more open and honest and transparent, scrapping VAT. If, you, if you're relatively poor, your household energy bill is a huge chunk of your income, so a VAT reduction helps you more. It's not true that it doesn't help the poor. Of course it helps the poor. And also, he should have... It's almost as if the government doesn't want to touch those renewable subsidies. There seems to be an influence on the Prime Minister that he dare not question, Nigel. Well, we're going for net zero, aren't we? And I wonder whether this has got more to do with Mrs Johnson. But we'll debate that another time. Liam Halligan, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Well, that was Liam Halligan, but I have to say those words, criminally negligent. I have been criticising government energy policy for the last 20 years. It's been so obvious to me. We're making people's bills more expensive. It's been a massive transference of money from those poorly off to those extremely well off. And we now face not just rising prices, but because of that lack of foresight with gas storage facilities, the possibility, at some point, the lights could go out. And that's not just me scaremongering. Many strategic energy experts say that. It's madness. You can't pin all of this on Boris Johnson's government. Successive governments have taken us in this route. So what is the impact of this on, on just ordinary families? James Anderson runs DEFA, a plumbing and heating community company. Uh, you're seeing this on the ground, aren't you, in terms of what bills we are doing We see it every single day, day in and day out, it's, and it's not getting any better. How much, how much distress is there out there in terms of energy well, bills? Well, people are now getting to a point where they don't want to pick the phone up, they don't want to ask, because they're tired of people saying no. It's going to cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, possible suicides in the future, if it's not dealt with now by the government, and dealt with correctly, not the way they're doing it now. Well, so basically what you've got today is that if you live in a modest house, you will, you will qualify, you know, for the rebates that will come yeah. through council. So basically your bills are going up 700 quid yeah. and the government's going to give you 350 back. Yeah. 
Are the government doing enough in They're your view? You They're not giving you it. They're longing you. You've got to pay two on the back anyway. Well, the companies do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, the companies do. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not going to make any difference in, in the pocket because people are still not going to save. They're still going to be in debt from April until October. They're going to be growing massive debts. How are they going to get rid of that? So what you're telling me, James, is that fuel poverty is real. Yes, it is definitely real. And you can't fix it in a textbook. You can only fix it in reality on the ground. And how do you feel as a local man about the idea that we could develop this vast gas field that's literally on Blackpool's doorstep? Well, why not do it? It's our gas field, it's our country, it's our ocean. We, it's ours, we need to use it for us, not for anybody else. It's interesting, I mean, I was in Blackpool uh, doing a... Um, a, a question time programme for another channel. Can't yeah. name them, obviously. And, and it was interesting because the audience were very, very against yeah. this gas exploration. Mm. I think a lot of propaganda yeah. had been put out to the community. Do you think that's changing? I think people will now see a different side to what's going on because of the reality that we're going through now with place rises on gas and electric, yeah. It sounds to me, James Anderson, that you're almost more like a social worker now, going around houses where yes. people are in such distress. We are. We are. That's, well, our, that's now our job. We're not just pulling the engineers anymore. Well, can I just say, well done for what you do. Thank you. And uh, I'm sure you're a friendly, reassuring face to them, perhaps more than Rishi Sunak has been so far Definitely. today. Definitely. James, yeah. thank you thank very you much very indeed. Much. Well done thank for you. what you do. Thank you. Now, I always do, at the end of the show, Barrage the Farage, where you send your questions in and the guys sit there in the room, guys and girls sit there in the room, pick out questions for me to answer, try and find the most difficult ones they possibly can, and I don't see them before. We're going to do it live here, but I have got some hints there, because I know that Alison is going to be my first Barrage the Farage question. Alison, good evening. Hello, Nigel. Uh, any chance of a referendum on the green issues? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because as a country, we don't have many referendums, but we have one on Brexit, thank goodness. And, of course, the answer the people gave was not the one that Westminster wanted to hear, which says to me we ought to have more referendums. Because I, I really believe that Westminster are hopelessly out of touch on many issues with decent, ordinary folk living in this country. I, my, I mean, my view is this. Do we care about the environment? Do we care about the world we're leaving to our children and grandchildren? Of course we do. Do we want energy to be as clean as it reasonably can be? Of course we do. But we only produce under 1% of global CO2. And if we follow Boris's net zero agenda, it's not just household bills that are going up, it's whole manufacturing industries that are leaving our shores, going to the rest of the world. The CO2 still gets produced. The goods get, then get exported back to us. The net effect is even more CO2. So I think there needs to be a full public debate on net zero. No one's been consulted. Virtually everybody in Westminster agrees this is what we should do. And frankly, you know, as we just saw from James a moment ago, already people can't afford it. So I do feel quite strongly. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree with you totally, Nigel. I think we have, we have the gas here and we should be using it for the North West. Well, I, th I think economically it would do the North West a lot of good. There'll be a Absolutely. lot more levelling up yes. through that than, than you'll ever get through government spending money in the North West. Thank, Thank you very much indeed for your question. <laughs> Next up...
Next up, I've got Dr. For Chris Wood. Chris. Hi, Nigel. Hello there. Hi. Uh, do you think Trump will run in 2024? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this Trump question, I mean, this really does get people hot under the collar because people either love him or hate him. Um, I know the feeling. The... Um, <laughs> I was out there in, I was out there at the end of November, did an interview, an exclusive interview for GB News with him. Um, he'd lost quite a lot of weight. He's playing golf every day. He actually looks fitter after four years of being president than he did before, which is unusual, because normally American presidents age before your eyes. If he wants to be the candidate for the Republican Party, then he will get the nomination. And I think at the moment he does intend to run. And frankly, I think Biden has been a worse president than anybody could even possibly have imagined. Whether you like Trump's style or not, and I get it, you know, he, he, he's pretty out there. Mm. He can be pretty abrasive. Yeah. You know, a lot of New Yorkers are like that. Um, but actually, I don't believe 130,000 Russian troops will be massing on the border of the Ukraine. I don't believe the North Koreans will be firing missiles in the way they are. I don't believe China would be as bellicose as it increasingly is over Taiwan. And I certainly don't believe Afghanistan would be back in the hands of the very Taliban we spent 20 years fighting if Trump was still president. So, you know, like him or hate him, I think he's the right pick. What's your take on, on Donald Trump? Well, that's my view. Um, when he... Um left office, the, uh, the American economy was the strongest it had been since possibly Reagan. It was only COVID that um, sort of put a spanner in the works. And um, I think he also had the highest employment as well. Uh, might be wrong there when, when he left office. So, Yeah, no, I mean, COVID, COVID's been difficult for any prime minister. And that's one area in which we should sympathise with Boris Johnson. It's not easy to govern during COVID. Uh, but you're right. I was with him on the 29th of February, the leap day, yeah. um, in 2019, um, and, uh, you know, oh, tw sorry, tw 2020. And, you know, for all the world, I thought he'd win 40 states, or 45 states, then COVID came along. But, yeah, yeah my view, he's not going away. Thank you. Thank you. Next up. <laughs> Next up, we've got Kelvin. Kelvin, hello. Hi, Nigel. Nice socks. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, pal. Uh, uh, would you stand for election in the next general election? Yeah. And if the answer is no, under what circumstances would change your mind? All right. Uh, look, Kelvin, I did 20, nearly 21 years in the European Parliament. Haven't I been through enough? Um, <laughs> I, I got into politics not because I wanted a career in politics. Far from it. I had a career. I gave it up to do it. I, I got into politics because I believe getting back the independence of our nation, our rights of self-government, was not only honouring those that had given their lives before in two world wars to fight for us to be free and independent, but actually we give a better world to those that come after us. And that was my motivation for being in it. If this was America, and we had open primaries, rather like Chris's question a moment ago, and there was a vacancy for Boris Johnson's job, I'd run. I'd stand for an open primary. But we, but we don't have that system. It's a closed shop within British political parties. Um, so it's very, very difficult. At the moment, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I do think, by doing this on GB News and other things I do, that I can help influence national debate 
in a sense, the first question tonight being one of those areas where I think we need to have a public conversation. All I can say to you is never say never. All right? Never say never. <laughs> you see, audience at home, it's not a stitch up. I don't know what they're going to ask me. Um, I've now got two more questions. One from Kev. Where's Kev? Hi. Hi. Good evening. Uh, do you think that the media are doing to Boris what they did to Trump to destabilise Brexit? Well, I think Brexit... I mean, look, there are some who would like to reverse Brexit. People like Lord Heseltine. You know, he was let out of the Natural History Museum the other day <laughs> and I was appearing on every BBC News programme there was. I mean, the truth of it is Brexit is a settled issue. I... There are elements within his party that will still resent him for Brexit. Of course there are parts of mainstream media that still don't like Brexit. I get that. Uh, but in political terms, in political terms, Brexit's done. We're not going to go back. It ain't going to happen. You know, it just isn't going to happen. Uh, look, I think the truth of it is that the media puff you up and smash you down. And in 2019 he was seen to be this all-conquering hero... Uh, so he was due to have a bit of, you know, rough justice from the press. I know a bit about that myself. It can be tough. But I think the fundamental problem is that he's lost trust with a large number of people. And they're giving him a kicking for not being truthful. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but I think he does. What do you think? Um, I think you're probably right. Uh, you're probably right. He's... he's, he's... He shouldn't have lied. Simple as. Well, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. The last question. Carol, my last question before the break. Good evening. Hi, Nigel. Um, do you think that Boris will last as PM until Easter? Do I think Boris will last as PM till Easter? Unscientific, but let's have a show of hands here, shall we? <laughs> How many people think Boris will still be PM at Easter? Hands up. <laughs> and how many think he'll be gone? Well, actually, there's not a lot in it, and that's kind of where we are, isn't it? I don't know. The local elections take place on the 5th of, of, of May this year. Um, I think if he's still there on that day, the Conservatives will probably get the worst result they've ever, ever had, apart from the European elections of 2019. <laughs> but, but I think David Davis said on GB News on Monday morning, it's the death of a thousand cuts. I believe that to be true. Final word before the break goes to you. No, I think he'll still be there because he's, um, he's made it clear he's not going to resign. Um, and I think he'll use the Ukraine-Russia situation as a bit of a diversion. So, uh, well, you may be right. Yeah. But as ever with these things, we never know. And that's part of the joy of it and why we study it. Thank you very much indeed. Now, in a moment... In a moment, I'll be joined by the special investigations editor from the Daily Mail, Sue Reid, somebody born and raised in these parts. That'll be Talking Pints in just a moment. Well... Before we go to Talking Pints, a quick apology from me, because if you get things wrong, the best thing to do is to hold your hands up and apologise. <laughs> I said on the show yesterday, 
following information given by a senior Home Office civil servant that the government was spending £1.2 million a day paying for migrants to be in hotels in this country. I regret to say £1.2 million is the wrong figure. The correct figure is £4.7 million every single day. So I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry if I misled you. The situation is far worse, perhaps, than we thought yesterday. Now, that leads me on quite neatly, really, to the Special Investigations Editor of the Daily Mail, Sue Reid. Sue, welcome to Talking Pints. Very good to see you here. Now, you grew up in this area. I did. I grew up uh, five miles away in St Anne's. Uh, but this was our playground. Blackpool was our playground. And Blackpool is and was a fantastic town to be growing up in. Uh, we used to come here as teenagers. I spent my 17th birthday at the Pleasure Beach <laughs> after a lunch at home, going round and round in the ghost train. Uh, I can't tell you what else happened. Um, <laughs> But we had fun here, and you walked on the front here, and we call it the front, of course, don't we? Uh, and th literally, there were rock stars here, pop stars, because playing Blackpool was bigger than yeah. playing the Palladium. I mean, this is the place where the Rolling Stones were banned from after the Glaswegians arrived for their wakes week, <laughs> stormed the stage, and the Rolling Stones piano was thrown into the auditorium. The Rolling Stones were blamed, not the Glaswegians. And, um, and the, the, you know, the Beatles played three times here in, in 65. I know that sounds a long time ago, but I tell you, this place rocked. And I guess it was successful, it was great, it was upbeat, and of course the people had never changed. Was it foreign travel that really... Yes, it was in the 70s. Did for it, and people made yeah. different choices and all the yeah. rest of it. You've been away, you've had a very successful career in journalism. You've done some very tough things. I mean, you've covered stories that are not easy to cover. You've covered uh, child trafficking. You've covered the illegal migration crisis. Yeah. You've covered uh, the grooming, the terrible grooming that took yeah. place in some yeah. of our northern cities. Yeah. Um, do you ever feel you're doing something that's really rather dangerous? <laughs> well, I know that I'm doing something dangerous, but I do think these are important issues to be addressed. And I'm not being a saint about that, but people have to know what's going on, don't they? That's what, that is how it should be. I mean, the reason um, I became interested in migration is because the Daily Mail rang me a very long time ago. And I was a stay-at-home mum, I was working for the Sunday Times, and they said, can you get in a lorry and come over from Calais to show how easy it is? And I thought, mm, yes. So I went to Calais, I met a, um, I chatted up lots of lorry drivers, and there was one from Warrington, who was an independent lorry driver, and he said, I'll put you on board. Um, and of course, being near Lancashire, we got on, you see. And so he put me on board, and we set off. We went through the Calais security at the port. Uh, we got through to Dover. I was sitting there saying, this is easy. We were driving up the motorway up to London when we heard... And he said, it's one of my towers, but it doesn't matter. I've got six on either side. <laughs> 
And all the time I'd been in there, there'd been a guy, or indeed we didn't know who was in there, was lying on top of the eight pallets, big driving, you know, um, big pallets. He was lying on the top and, as I say, we didn't know it was one person then, but when we opened the door and he came round, the driver, with a great big torch with a, ready to hit, to us, we just heard, uh, please, please help me, please help me. Out came Adele from Iraq. He ran away in the darkness. Mm. And then I realised how jolly easy it is. I'd been in there for four hours with a guy lying completely still. And I that mean, was when I be began to take an interest. And now they're coming, because of sort of, you know, body heat equipment or whatever it may be, they're now coming across the channel in small boats. It's an issue that I've followed. It's an issue that you've followed. And we're told now the Home Office this year are expecting 65,000 well, to 90,000 people I think you predicted that last year, and I think it's going to be absolutely true. And the idea that we can... Uh, these traffickers... These evil, evil traffickers are embedded. They've had 20 years to embed. The idea that we can... Do, well, I hope we can do something about it, but we're a... It's a pretty... Uh, well, the Australians did. The Australians, the Australians just towed the people back to Indonesia. Yeah. And Tony Abbott, the Aussie PM, was condemned for it, but it worked. It you know? did work. Um, We've got to do something. And I think these folk here are getting pretty upset, all over the country getting pretty upset. You know, we, 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 want, you know, we want people, we want good people to come to the country, but yes. not illegally. I, I mean, the whole thing is, 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 is outrageous. The point I make all the time, and I have made it at a very, very high level with the government, is the security. We don't know who's don't know coming in. Yeah. When I walked into Berlin with the first Syrians in, in uh, 2015, in September, the first thing those young Syrians said to me, most of us aren't Syrian. Two-thirds of us are not Syrian. You do realise this. And we're very worried that we're going to be cast aside because of all these other people. And we're talking about a myriad of different nationalities. Mm. Uh, and I wrote that. I said it then, two-thirds of people coming in are coming in, they're bogus. Yeah. Now they, of course, have been milling around Europe all the time. Even Cameron said at the time, 2% are likely to be IS. Yeah, I know. He said it's, it to it's, the Lebanese it's, camp. It's, it's horrifying, isn't it? And we just never ask, yeah. and in they well, come. So and, and that's what I'm worried about, the security I aspect agree with of well, it. I think you're very brave what you do, you've done some fantastic work. Um, in my daily mail over many years, particularly over the last year, and you've, mm. you've tracked what's happening across in France and where the boats are coming yeah. from, and it's yeah. brilliant stuff. On personal stuff, just very quickly, you know, I know you, the, 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 you lost your partner during the pandemic and it's been a tough time. He was a friend of Boris Johnson's. Uh, just, just finally, Sue, should Boris stay? Should he go? How do you feel about what's been happening? I feel very, very concerned that people in the top of government are not representing ordinary people or indeed have any connection with ordinary people, that it is coming from a completely different mindset. People who really, they may have come to Blackpool today, and I don't mean to, and thank goodness they did, but when did they last step in, yeah. you know, to see Blackpool? When did they last see our northern towns? You know, there's so much potential here. And um, 
Unfortunately, I think the people at the top have no idea. But Boris kind of, you know, Boris kind of in 2019 did get a lot of votes in towns like Blackpool. He did. And people liked yes. him. Of course he's should very they, Should person. they still like him? I think uh, they should be very disappointed. Yes. I think it's a tragedy that uh, these promises have not been kept. On, so energy, on energy, my goodness, everyone's going to feel it. Everyone is going to feel it. Uh, and on, uh, a myriad, actually, of, of things that were promised. And when you saw the a fracking, up, for instance, by the way. Well, fracking. I mean, we've had a fair debate about yeah, yeah. that. I, yeah. I sense there's less opposition here now than there might have been a few years ago. I'm sure there were some yeah. who were still very concerned. Um, but it's, but it's, it's kind of levelling up. We saw Michael Gove with his levelling up paper. I mean, is, is... Look, I tell you, how you level up is start educating properly. Instead of having enterprise zones, have school super zones. Bring those children on. We are wasting our children. Every, it doesn't matter whether you come from a castle or a council house. Two percent are going to be bright. To, many are going to be average. Some are going to need extra help, but it doesn't matter. We need to... They are the, they're the strength, not infrastructure. I've seen better education under a tree in Zimbabwe. <laughs> in Soweto, where algebra goes round the walls. Believe me, I tell you, it's the people we have to... Um, so education, education, bringing definitely. back jobs. Can Blackpool see great days again? I hope so. I really hope so. It really would make me incredibly happy. Brilliant. See Reid, thank you very much for joining us on Talking Pines. Well, should he stay or should he go has very much been the theme of this chat today on, on the day we learned that energy bills really are going to be going through the roof. And it's 50-50. This audience is 50-50. I sense people around the country are 50-50 as to where, whether Boris Johnson should stay, whether Boris Johnson should go. So we thought it appropriate to end the programme by being joined by Alison D. She's a local singer. She sung in Las Vegas. She sung all over the world. She's even sung in number 10 Downing Street. But joining us today in the number 10 bar here in the Imperial Hotel in Blackpool, singing Should He Stay or Should He Go, is Alison D. <laughs>